In the short letter that Paul wrote to Christians who were living in a city, the city of Colossae, uh, Paul speaks to Christianity. We've been talking about this as the story of reality. He talks about uh, our faith as the, the explanation, the true explanation of how things began, of why things are the way they are, and very importantly and very personally to us, the role we play in the plot line of the story of reality. Okay? Now, we live in a world of especially here in the United States, of multiculturalism. We live in an age of tolerance. We live in an age of, um, I think you could say, increasing secularism, where perhaps faith is less and less central to the life of, of many people. And basically, we live in a day and time where people are encouraged to find, quote-unquote, their truth. A truth that... As long as it works for them, and as long as they're not hurting anybody, then they should live that. They should go for that. And interestingly, I think in many respects, as you think about everything I just said, I think you're, you're really getting a pretty good description of the world of the Roman Empire. I mean, you talk about multicultural. <laughs> I mean, it was a melting pot. European, Southern European cultures, Mediterranean cultures, Middle Eastern cultures, uh, some Asian cultures, African cultures, all mixing together in the Roman Empire. And the Roman government was good with you living out your truth, with you worshiping your gods and doing your thing as long as you paid your taxes, as long as you didn't make trouble for the Roman Empire. It was all good. And you could enjoy the protections and benefits of living under the Roman Empire. But here's, I, I think you could call this the rub this morning. Uh, and it's just because, just because someone believes things about reality doesn't make those things true. That, uh, truth is another question altogether. Now, obviously, what somebody believes to be true, um, they think it's true. Otherwise, they wouldn't believe it to be true. Um, and while people are certainly free to seek their truth, the Spirit of God is revealing to us through the pen of Paul that truth, with a capital T, actually exists. And this reality, this true account of how the world was and is and, and will come to be, this is discovered through a relationship with the Son of God, a relationship with Jesus. Jesus, we found out last week, Jesus created the universe. All things that exist are held together in Jesus. Jesus is the one who made things right and is making things right in a world broken by sin. And at the end, all things will be consummated in Jesus. Colossians 2, verse 17, Paul says, Reality, then, is found in Christ Jesus. Reality is found in Christ Jesus. Let's, let's bow our heads and let's pray as we begin this morning. Lord God, all praise and all glory we give to you. You are the master. You are our creator, God. You are the redeemer. You are the hope of eternity. Open our hearts 
this morning, open our minds this morning to receive your truth, the truth. In the name of Jesus, our Redeemer, our friend, our Lord. Amen. Now to our text, Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 21. This includes you, so we're continuing from last week where he's lifted up Jesus. He's talked about how we have been reconciled by the blood of Jesus. He said, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies. You were separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his presence You are holy, you are blameless, you stand before him without one single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as Christ's servant to proclaim it. So these words are written to Christians, to women and men, city of Colossia, of Colossae in modern-day Turkey. Uh, these are people who had surrendered their lives to Jesus. These were believers in Christ, but they had not always been believers in Jesus. We saw that. Paul reminds them of, of who they were, right? He wants them to remember that. He wants them to keep that in mind. Uh, And just to be clear, uh, as he's telling them, they were enemies of God. They were separated from God. Just to be clear, they weren't uniquely wicked. They weren't especially evil people. They were like us. This is our story. Okay, They weren't the exception. And so these are kind of strong words, but they're true words. Paul says this in verse 21. He says, you were once, what? You were far away from God. You were his enemies. You were separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. That's not just the Colossians. That's us. That's every disciple in Christ. And so let's call this act one this morning. Who I was. I would do well to remember that who I was. It makes me a humble, it makes me a grateful person. You see, God, yes, he's holy, he's perfect, he is faultless. We, me and you, we're sinners. Uh, Our our evil thoughts, our evil actions, our evil words, the things that we shouldn't have done that we did, the things that we ought to do that we don't, we are sinners wicked in God's sight. So write this down this morning. This is kind of act one reality check, which would be this. Compared to the only standard that counts, I am spiritually and morally bankrupt. Hang on. That sounds a little bit strong. I think you're being a little bit melodramatic there, preacher, this morning. But it's the truth. It's the truth. I like... I like this piece that uh, Max Lucado writes. (laughs) He wrote, All of us occasionally do what is right. A few predominantly do what is right. But do any of us always do what is right? 
Paul in Romans chapter 3 verse 10 wrote, There is none righteous, no, not one. Some may beg to differ. I'm not perfect, Max, but I'm better than most folks. I've led a good life. I don't break the rules. I don't break hearts. I help people. I like people compared to others. I think I could say I am a righteous person. I used to say that to my mother. (laughs) She would tell me that my room wasn't clean, and I'd ask her to go with me to my brother's room. His was always messier than mine. See? My room is clean. Just look at his. Never worked. She'd walk me down the hall to her room. When it came to tidy rooms, my mom was righteous. Her closet was just right. Her bed was just right. Her bathroom was just right. Compared to hers, Max said, well, mine was just wrong. She would show me her clean room and say, this is what I mean by clean. God does the same. He points to himself and says, this is what I mean by righteousness. It reminds me, I think it was a Friday afternoon, years ago, one of my kids brought home a math test that had been graded, and it was a shocking sight, this math test pulled it out of their binder, and there was red ink on the front page, on the second page, on the third. There was red ink everywhere. And at the top, the score was a 56. A 56. That's shocking enough, but the truly shocking part was the letter grade circled beside the 56. It was a B. Kind of like, whoa. And they're like, yeah, it was crazy. I wasn't ready for the test. I was horrible on the test, but so was everybody else in the class. And the teacher, when she curved it up, I ended up with the B. My child said with a big smile on their face. There was a survey a while back. And people were asked, just random people, do you believe you are lost or saved? And you might get, we Americans are an optimistic people. The vast majority said, I'm saved. Now, the interesting thing was the second, the follow-up question. It was, okay, if you said you were saved, why do you believe you're saved? And the categories fell into, into two different kind of columns, which were very similar. One of them was, I'm a good person. And then a lot of other people referred to the Ten Commandments. They say, I follow the Ten Commandments. So that was why people thought they were saved. That's why they thought, uh, felt pretty good about themselves. Now the problem, and, and here is the big problem with this logic. There's a kid in the class that we tend to forget about. God's kid. Jesus set the curve. <laughs> Jesus Aced it. Got a perfect grade on his life here 
on earth. His perfection sets the curve. And many people, this is what we do, we tend to compare ourselves to others and we come out feeling better about ourselves. I'm not perfect, but look at her, you know? Or I mean, I may not be the best person ever, but hey, I'm no Hitler, you know? Now, this may sting a little bit, but I believe in reality I have and you have, I have way more in common with Hitler than I do with Jesus. One of us was sinless. Two of us aren't. One of us never told a lie. Two of us have told plenty of lies. One of us was always kind, even to outsiders, even to strangers. Two of us, nah. There are two categories, right? There is the holy category. There is the sinful category. Jesus alone is in the holy category. And he is the standard. So let's just... Let's think about that Ten Commandments thing for a second. And I'm just going to ask you maybe some diagnostic questions for you to think about yourself. So I, I follow the Ten Commandments... Really? How about this question? Have you ever given anything more love, more affection, or anyone more love, more affection than God? And I think you could probably reach into your purse or your pocket and just pull out your smartphone. Here's a number for you, 2,617. 2,600, according to a study by D. Scout. This is the average number of times per day that the average person touches their smartphone. How many times do we reach out to God in a day? How many times do we connect with the Lord? Something to think about. How about this one? Have you ever <laughs> have you ever disobeyed or dishonored your mom or your dad? Have you ever dishonored or disobeyed your mom or your dad? Have you ever failed to tell the truth? Or have you ever misrepresented the truth in any way? Okay. Have you ever taken something that wasn't yours? Or how about covetousness? How about craved something that someone else had that wasn't yours? Look, I'm thinking not only have we not kept the Ten Commandments, I think it would be safe to say we have broken all of the Ten Commandments. Each and every one of the Ten Commandments. Now you may go, hey, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. There's that thou shalt not murder. I haven't murdered anyone. And Jesus comes along in Matthew chapter 5 and says, verses 21 and 22, if you've harbored, harbored anger in your heart toward a brother or sister, you have broken the spirit of that command, thou shalt not murder. Does the same thing with adultery. 
So the gospel. The gospel literally means good news. And the good news starts with reminding us how far we have been brought because of Jesus. The gospel sounds so good because it reminds us of how bad things were before Jesus. Paul says in verse 22, we read this a moment ago, and this is a turnaround beginning, two words, a 180-degree beginning. He says, yet now. So there was all of that, and that's all true, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And that word reconciled is an important one in the New Testament. When it applies to people like us, in order to be reconciled, you had to have been broken. In order to have been fixed, you had to have been broken. Jesus took what was wrong and he made it right. And that is act two. It has to do with who I met. I met Jesus. That was the yet now. That was the turning point. That was the 180-degree spin. Everything changed when I surrendered my life to Jesus, when you surrendered your life to Jesus. Christ lived the... Think about this. Christ lived the life that we should but didn't. That's what he did. Write this down this morning. Jesus lived the life I should but don't. He offered his perfect life as a trade for my bankrupt one. It's like Bill Gates swapping bank accounts with you. Spiritually, that's what Jesus did for you. Jesus aced the test. Lived in constant, continuous perfection. And by the way, I don't think... Any of us compared to him even get close to having a 56 on our test. I really don't. But something happened when God became flesh. When God dwelt among us and the Son of God offered his life on that Roman cross for humanity, that something is reconciliation. Reconciliation. He paid the bill. Christ absorbed in his physical body the wrath of the Father, the wrath of a holy and righteous God, a wrath that was reserved for us. But he took it upon himself. Which gets us to who I am now. I once heard a, a Christian brother, well-meaning, teaching a class on salvation. And obviously needed to talk some about God's grace. So he compared God's grace to, he said, it's kind of what fills in the cracks. You imagine like a sidewalk, there's some cracks, and God's grace is kind of like that divine spackle or cement you put in there to fill the cracks. Nice try, right? I mean, like my righteousness gets me so far, and then God just kind of tops it off with a little bit of grace. That's... Highly inaccurate. My righteousness gets me nowhere. 
It makes me an enemy of God. Paul says, far away from God. Paul says, alienated because of my sinful behavior. That's where my righteousness gets me. It gets me nowhere. And if by God's grace filling in the cracks, you mean something like filling in the Grand Canyon, okay. But my righteousness gets me nowhere. And so the Spirit of the Lord, this is why Paul writes this, inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit longs for us to appreciate who we were, who we are, and who came along and made all the difference for us to live in that, in that humility, in that gratefulness, recognizing the extent of what Jesus did for us. Check this out. This is in the second part of verse 22. Paul says, as a result, he, God, he has brought you into his own presence and you, yes, you, you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault, without a single red mark on your life, except the mark of Christ. You see, too many people, their life is about making their mark on the world. Christian life is about receiving his mark. On the world. That description is mind blowing. Of us, without a fault, blameless, holy. <laughs> That's us. I could, preach a, I could preach a dozen verses here, but you're welcome. I won't do that this morning. Uh, a dozen sermons. But Paul ha- and, and this is one thing. I, if you have your pen and you've got your outline out, just in that verse, circle the word stand or standing. Paul has you standing before God. And you're like, well, see the big deal about that. I'm standing before God. I want you to think about, like, let's go back in time to Moses, one of the greatest human beings to ever live. One of the people who was closest to God, who talked to God, who walked with God, who God, gave the, who God called to lead his people, gave the commandments to Moses. Moses, in, in Exodus 33, Moses is like, God, I, I love you so much. I want to see your glory. I want to stand before you. God says, you don't... You, know, you don't know what you're asking, Moses. My glory would consume you. My glory would destroy you. It would be 10 million volts passing through a three-amp fuse. It would just turn to powder. God tells Moses, he says, Exodus 33, verse 20, You cannot... See my face, for no one may see me and live. This is not God making a threat. This is God looking out for Moses. This is God protecting this man that he loves. You can't handle me. And you remember this incredible ancient leader, this prophet, this man of faith. God says, okay, I'll do something for you. 
I'm going to have you hide in this outcropping of rock. Just, t- just squeeze in there. And then I'm going to pass by. Do not look. Hide your eyes, Moses. Once I'm by, you can get a glimpse from behind. But you can't see my glory. But you, in Christ, blameless, holy, without one single fault, Paul puts you standing in the presence of God. In this passage, not kneeling, not face on the ground, standing in the presence of God. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? The book of Hebrews, in chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Not cowering. With confidence, because we wear the righteousness of the Son of God. We have been made holy. That's the good news. The good news. And you can search your whole life. You're not going to find news better than the good news. Now, one desire that we have, And I'll just finish here. But one desire, this is fueled by an appreciation of what God has done for us, is to see others who, like we were, lost, alone, separated from God, alienated from God, feeling guilt and shame, to see them come to know the love of God expressed through Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes this. This is in verse 28. Paul says, So so we tell others about God. Christ. We tell others about Christ, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. Now, look, if, if you aren't a believer, if you have not received the good news. We, this church, we, that's our desire. We want to present you before God, perfect in your relationship with Christ. We got a baptistry, clean water, warm water. It is ready for you. And baptism is the statement of faith in what Christ did for you. He was crucified. He died for you. He was buried and he raised from death to life. Baptism is a reenactment of that gospel. You die to your old life. You're born with God. You and your sinfulness are buried and you raise a new person, holy, blameless, faultless. It's a beautiful image. You can take that step of faith today. One other thing, there's a word. Metanoia in the Greek translated repentance repentance you come to faith in christ and you repent 
Repentance means you agree with God about who you were or who you are. You agree with God. You don't debate God when he says, you are my enemy. You are alienated from me. You are separated from me. You have evil thoughts and evil actions. You don't, you don't get in an argument with God. You agree with him. That's repentance. And you say, God, with all my heart and with all your help, the Holy Spirit, I want to change. You can make that step today. Or maybe you just need prayers, and we would encourage you to gather with someone around you or come pray with me or one of our shepherds about whatever it is that is getting between you and the Lord or someone that you want to pray for this morning. Let's do that as we stand together and as we worship.